Are you wandering in the wilderness? Or are you a voice in the wilderness? Welcome to the Revival Cry podcast. This is your host, Eric Miller. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The goal of this podcast is to encourage you to use the voice God has given you to make Jesus famous. Every week, we will share principles from the Word of God, interviews, and encouragement in order to strengthen your voice. Thank you for joining me today. And now here is today's podcast. Well, welcome everyone to Revival Cry. This is Eric Miller, and I have the most amazing special guest today. It's my wife, Casey Miller. Hello. And so we are here to talk about marriage and family today. And it's really because on January 18th, we are celebrating 26 years of marriage. Good job, babe. And I'm so thankful for Casey and what the Lord has given us in our marriage with our five kids, living overseas together. Just there's so much that God has done that we want to talk to you about and just share some testimonies to encourage you, maybe some principles that would help to just not only promote the value of marriage and family, but encourage some of you where you're at. Maybe maybe you're single and you really want to get married and then you look at the situation in the world today and you're thinking, man, there's so much divorce, there's so much rebellion, There's it's so hard with the different cultures and, and challenges, decisions that people have to make. But one thing that the Lord's really done in us is being able to just keep Jesus so close to our hearts because I think we recognize that marriage is not about two people only. It's about three. And really, we cannot become one unless the Lord allows us to become one. Oh, that can happen physically, but as far as spiritually and being able to become one in Christ as what happens, what the Bible says takes place when a couple gets married, enters into covenant together, we have seen the value of what the Lord has done in our hearts together with him. I want to just read one scripture that I think has been very important to us for many years. Actually, two scriptures in Psalm 68 verses 5 and 6. It says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely into families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. But the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. God does not reveal himself as the CEO and president or prime minister of heaven incorporated. God reveals himself as a father. And even those who are fatherless or who are widowed, he reveals himself as father because that is God's ultimate identity of what he wants to express to us. He's not just the 
king of the universe. I mean, obviously we need to respect that as he's the creator and we're the creative ones. But God wants us to know him as father. And I have found that for us, not only has that been valuable for us to see him as father personally, but as a mother, as a father, the Lord's allowed us to have lonely people come into our lives that we've been able to love on as well. But when, when we're talking about that scripture, Casey, what does God mean? What does it mean that God is father to you? Well, I think ultimately we understand that we're to learn from him and we're to take his DNA just like any child would take their parents' DNA, that we belong to mm -hmm. him and so we become like him. And, you know, as our kids are growing older, we're starting to see certain features and certain even gifts and talents that we can point directly back to either mm -hmm. you, me, or even one of our relatives. Like, you know, uh, the writing kind of skipped over mm -hmm. me, but your mom and my mom both are writers and both of our daughters are great writers. Yeah. So these things are just things that are passed on kind of genetically and strange enough, some of it is also part of our environment, but sometimes even without the environment, we've learned that kids that say they're adopted out or whatever, they still have these, these genetic tendencies towards certain behaviors. And I believe we get that from our Father in Heaven that we actually take on the genetics of who He is, His character, and, mm. and His behavior. It's really good. Now you might be thinking, oh, you guys grew up in a Christian home and you, your family is perfect and <laughs> all these things. Some of you may not know our testimony, but when we first got married, it was like, and I think we both described it that if you've ever watched, you know, professional wrestling on television and you see these guys, you know, flying elbows to the head and fighting and, and arguing and all this stuff, that's what we were like. And I think we just entered into marriage, really, we, we were in love with each other, we valued who each other was, but we didn't really understand what we were getting into. Oh, no way. What, what, how can you describe to people what it was like when we first got married? Well, first of all, we really didn't know each other. I mean, we just didn't take the time. And generally, I recommend that that's not the best way to do it. But in some ways, I feel like the Lord tricked us into, yeah, just get these guys married because, you know, they're, they're supposed <laughs> to be together, but they just don't know it yet. And, uh, you know, in the long run, that's turned out well. But in the beginning, not knowing each other, not knowing much about each other, it definitely was like World War III going on. And then both of us had a struggle where we knew what, in a lot of ways, we knew some of what we should be doing. Right. Um, I'm sure there was, there was a lot that we did not understand about the personality of Jesus and knowing him and things like that. But as far as, like, morality and... We knew a lot of that, and then we had this internal struggle that we weren't living up to those things. So that just created more of a tornado in the daily life. It really was. I think us not knowing Jesus like we should, we knew about the Lord, it really affected our ability to know each other because there's so many surface things that you look at within a person, whether it be their looks or personality, where they come from, what they have, that we may be drawn to. But unless it's the Jesus in that person <laughs> that's drawing us closer to Jesus, then we're going to have too much expectation mm -hmm. upon that individual to meet our needs that only 
Jesus can meet. And so after we first got married, I was a youth pastor in the state of Delaware, and we we had a, a great church we were a part of, but I was living a, a hypocritical life. I was struggling with, you know, looking at garbage that I shouldn't look at, and especially being married, let alone if you're single and you're struggling with lust or anger or whatever it might be. And these things were consuming my life, and I thought that marriage would take care of some of that, uh, be an answer for me. But really, I expect you to do something for me that only Jesus could do. Yeah. And when I ended up repenting in front of the church and getting radically sent free in August of 1997, I realized that after I repented and felt like chains and hooks in my flesh were pulled off of me. I met you at the back door and I said, Casey, I don't know what just happened, but I'm totally free. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, how can she trust me? Because I've done these other things before that were wrong and she's going to have to work through her heart to forgive me. And I would say it took us a good probably five years of rebuilding trust and growing in our own relationship with the Lord and growing together. We still argued and fought a lot, but we started to see more how God was taking us like clay in his hands and molding and shaping us. We had no idea that we would be missionaries in the Philippines. I couldn't even show you where the Philippines was on a map at that point. But what I'm saying is, is that we want to encourage you today to know that if you're struggling, if you are married and your spouse is not maybe living for Jesus or you're not or you're not together, you know, maybe uh, you're living in the same house together, but <laughs> the kind of living separated lives. I just want to encourage you that marriage is so much more than just being in the same room together. It has so much of, uh, of it, us laying down our hearts before God and saying, Jesus, consume me. I want to deny myself, take my cross and follow me. I want to put self down so that I can learn to love my spouse and serve and honor her, honor him the way that we should. What was it like for you after I had that breakthrough personally and we're gelling together and coming more of a married couple, not just in word only, but in building these principles, biblical principles of what it means to love and honor one another. What was that like for you during that season? Yeah, I think it took us, you know, more than maybe five years in a lot of areas as far as forgiveness and trust, you know. Um, it wasn't as hard for me to deal with that as it was for us to learn how to cooperate together and uh, express truth to one another without being blunt and rude. Um, you know, just how to talk to each other. And I think there's a, there were a lot of cultural differences that I mm. didn't totally understand what <laughs> happened because we're both from the USA. So it's like, hey, you know, we must be at least similar culturally. And actually, I think our cultural differences have helped us when we have dealt with intercultural marriages here in the Philippines. Yeah. But, you know, I came from a family from the Northeast, but it was sort of like Maryland, you know, like we just, 
it wasn't quite the same as somebody from New York. And then, so your family being from which New I'm York, from, <laughs> right? And then they're Puerto Ricans too, which they're really loud. Like I love you guys, <laughs> I do, but their whole family is really, really loud. And my family, for the most part, when people were angry, they just shut off and give a cold shoulder or, mm-hmm. or a wall. And his family, when they're angry, they literally let you know. <laughs> so this was just not good communication, you know, where I'm turning my back, not listening, which makes him more frustrated and more angry and stirs him up more. And so, you know, the communication thing for me was much more of a journey than it was even the specific sin issues. I think those those things yeah. sometimes we focus too much on where these other things are so much deeper. Right. And it just takes so much more learning and so much more process and bringing it before the Lord again and looking at people who are successful and not just ones from the outside that are successful, but ones that you go into their home and you see their kids and you know that their kids talk There's about them. There's peace in the home. Right. And then you see them grow up, you know, and, and their kids are walking in peace and their kids are speaking highly of them and kids aren't going to generally lie they'll cover some things up for safety of their family but they're not going to straight up just lie and say my household was wonderful when it wasn't so I just tended to lean towards those kinds of people and Mm -hmm. just learn what are they doing that works you know you said two different cultures coming together and we were in from two different states on the east coast and the northeast but yet it's two dramatically different cultures that we grew up in family history personalities that when two people come together even if they live in the same town together there's still so many challenges let alone if you marry somebody from the other side of the world it's not impossible but the only way for a marriage to work the way that that God designed it to is for us to come to Jesus and humbly accept his grace for our lives and getting right with God so that we can see the other person the way that he does so that we can serve the other person the way that Jesus would so we would not have expectations placed upon each other that are just unhealthy and when when we started to gel more it was it was an absolute proximity of us surrendering our lives to Jesus and then we go to Pensacola Florida where we're at the Brownsville revival and we're hearing every night repent surrender your life to Jesus produce fruit while keeping with repentance my favorite scripture verse I learned those that first year and uh Brownsville, uh, Matthew 3, 8. And, and really what drew us to move there was that the Lord made it clear out of 1 Timothy 4, 15 and 16 that if we would be diligent in surrendering our lives to Jesus, that he would lay, he would break up that old follow ground, those old foundations that we were protecting and saying no, uh, protecting from each other. And saying, no, you you can't touch that area of my life or you can't challenge me here or I'm going to point this out in you. Once we started to surrender those things to the Lord by responding to the small, still voice of the Holy Spirit calling us to conviction, we found that we started to not only love God and want to spend time with him, but spend time with each other. We started having a date night. We pretty much go every Monday night on a date night, even to this day. And sometimes when we're traveling and stuff, it makes it a little bit more difficult with the kids. But the point is, 
is that the more that we humbled ourselves before God and became one, not again only physically, but we became one by surrendering our hearts to each other, being willing to lay my life down for her as Christ of the church gave himself for, and Casey being able to honor and respect me as well. I mean, it, it there's so much that is not just for the husband to do or for the wife to do. It's for both of us to do that if we if we really love and value each other the way that Jesus loved and valued us, then we're going to have a marriage that's going to be spectacular. And 26 years later, we're more in love than we were when we first met. Because when you go through so much together, you don't want to start that all over again. <laughs> you, you, you're you grateful for what God's done. Yeah, there's actually a scripture verse that I've hung on to that the Lord showed to me years ago. And, uh, you know, a lot of times in the offering, you'll hear the song, Give and it will come back to you. Talking about as if um, when you give finances, that that returns to you finances. Mm -hmm. And although I can see like the sowing and reaping principle applied to finances, that's really not what Jesus was talking about at mm -hmm. all in that scripture. If you look at the context of the scripture, and I don't have the reference in my head, but he's talking about mercy and judgment. And so he's saying that if you will give a lot of mercy, then you'll have mercy in your mercy account when you need to withdraw it. And if you give a lot of criticism or judgment, you'll also have that in your account when you go to withdraw it. So I think in marriage and even on the outside with any relationship, we have to keep in mind that when someone doesn't deserve mercy, we have to think, do I want, what do I want in my account when I go to withdraw? And it says, will men give into your bosom? So it's yeah. not just God. God gives more mercy than we can even handle. But it's talking about people will return to you mercy and it will be an automatic thing. They don't even know why they're withdrawing mercy to mm. give to you. But there's so much in your account when they go to withdraw, they, all they find is mercy. So in marriage, a lot of times when I felt like, oh, you know, I'm right, I'm right. You know, of course, we always think we're right. But if I really was right, I would choose personally to give mercy and be like, you know, that's what I need in my account because hmm. there's times I'm going to need him to withdraw mercy to me instead of criticism, yeah. instead of judgment. And so if we look at it that way, it's like I'm filling my account for my own personal sake. I need to withdraw mercy and I need God's mercy and I need other people's mercy. And I don't want to be under the spotlight all the time. Everything I do, everything I say, being criticized so I don't want to do that to someone else either because that's what I'll receive in return. It's so good. And, you know, sometimes you hear these stories about couples being married for 15, 20, 30 years and then they get a divorce. Mm. And people are shocked by that. The kids are shocked by that. When the reality is that it's been a brewing explosion <laughs> that when we don't surrender self or don't give mercy to each other. You were talking about the context of Luke chapter 6, mm -hmm. that when we don't do that, over time, we're building up a fence towards each other. Yeah. We're, we're building up bitterness and rage. And, and these things, if they're not surrendered to the Lord in time, there's going to be these explosions. Now, yeah. we argue occasionally, but Not we like don't. We, used to. we don't argue like we used to. You can't even call it arguing compared to what we used to do. <laughs> it's it's so amazing how when we seek peace and pursue it, 
Yeah. And when we make sure that He's the Lord in every area of our lives, the way we talk to each other, the way we think, what we do in secret, valuing each other when not only we're around each other, but when we're separated from each other. You know, it's it's really amazing how these principles play into the overall sense of God's hand and blessing being upon our marriage and our family. And I even see this in our kids. Now, for some of you who might be listening, you, you might not know, we actually have five kids. We have a 24-year-old, we have a 20-year-old, we have a, a 17-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 12-year-old. And all of them have grown up knowing us as being surrendered to Jesus. And, you know, when my family came to the Lord, I was in, I was like 14 years old. So I, I still had a long period of time where I had, you know, strong foundations that didn't involve Jesus that had to change over time. It was nobody's fault. We just didn't know the Lord. And... I, I mean, we we all take personal responsibility for our own sin anyway. No matter what our how good or how bad our parents were, we we have to surrender our heart to the Lord and take responsibility. But our kids growing up in a home when they see their parents loving Jesus, loving one another, is actually helping our kids inherit and move forward in life in a way that is far beyond even where we started. And isn't that the goal of parents, that we want our ceiling to become our kid's floor? And so it's it's been our desire to set the standard really high, to really show them what it means to love and honor one another above ourselves, yeah. and to teach them how to do that so they would not you know, look for somebody uh, just for looks or for other things they might have, but they're looking deeper. They they value integrity. They value the way somebody talks and acts and lives their life. And if they're going to connect themselves to that person or be in covenant with them for life, then we're setting a good standard for them as well. Yeah, and I want to speak into the situation where you see these married couples and they're married 15 or 20 years and then suddenly it's like it just everything hits the fan but a lot of times um, in my perspective because we've been married 26 years there is a point where you hit where your kids start to kind of grow up and when they do a lot of women realize that they've actually wrapped their lives up in their children yeah and they don't have a relationship with their husband he's just there to provide finances or whatever the situation or maybe he has a relationship with the kids but there's there's just not that depth between the two of them so when the kids start to move out the wife starts to go, I don't really love you. Like, because mm -hmm. she doesn't. You know, she just doesn't have anything anymore with him. And sometimes it's just hiding things because I don't want the kids to see that I'm upset or I don't want to deal with this because the kids, the kids, the kids. What in all reality, the best thing you can do for your kids probably in that situation is pull aside, take a retreat, you know, go to marriage counseling, whatever you have yeah. to do so that you prioritize what you have together because it is still devastating to children that who are grown and their parents divorced. In fact, we have a very close friend of ours mm -hmm. who was raised in uh, what she thought was a Christian home. But then when her and her sister, um, and I think she has a brother, moved out, and then everything just hit the feet, the fan. And, you know, mom is like, 
this was never good in the first place. I was covering it up all this time just for your sake. And it's just, it's not good for them even when they're adults because it devastated this, these adult children. Yeah. Still, and their, and their children, the grandchildren are still devastated. It still marks their family. Mm. So the earlier you can hit stuff. Yeah. And, and the same thing with with fathers is we could think, well, because I work hard or because I provide for the family, that that's really all I'm supposed to do. And we kind of, you know, hide ourselves away in front of the television or, um, you know, get busy with sports or other things outside our family. And I love to play basketball. I try to do it two, three, four times a week as far as exercise and being with guys and take my son with me. But the fact is, is that as a father, I need to be leading my family in prayer. I need to be uh, spiritually, you know, not depending on my wife's relationship with God that to so that my kids would become mature in the Lord as well. And it's it's not just one person's uh, responsibility is above another one as much as it is we taking our ownership of our responsibility and working together in it. And I really believe our kids know that if they were to, you know, just go be rebellious and sin, that there would be tremendous conviction on their hearts, not because we're standing over them condemning them, but because they have seen us apply biblical principles over and over and over again in our relationship so that they don't want that junk. They actually want the real. In fact, they want to go above and beyond what they've seen available in our relationship. Listen, I, I want to encourage some of you today. You might be thinking, man, my family's been a mess growing up. Uh, my, you know, my marriage is a mess right now. My kids are prodigal sons and daughters. Listen, uh, we want to encourage you. We don't want to sound like the perfect family. <laughs> we, what we want you to know is that if you would take personal responsibility for your sin, for your humbling yourself before your family, your spouse, and, and, and being honest and not trying to hide things. Friend, it is totally possible for God to turn your marriage around, yeah. to turn your family around. Listen, prodigal son, when he went off, and it sounded like his dad was a good guy. His family was a good situation. Even in good families, you could still have prodigal sons and daughters. Mm -hmm. You know, he had an inheritance for his sons. And yet his one son chose the older one to do what was right, and and the younger son went and and lived in riotous living, spent the inheritance that he had, and is eating with the pigs now, and carousing and and with women and just it was a mess and then he's convicted and says maybe I could just go back home and my father will make me one of his slaves because I'm not worthy to be called his son anymore and when he goes back home and this is Luke 15 he's his father sees him coming from far off and he runs to his son and embraces him puts a robe on him a ring on his finger and says, you're my son. I forgive you. And they have a huge party. And the oldest son maybe didn't understand that completely. But the fact of the matter is this, is that the son 
had within him standards that were lived out by his mom, by his dad, so that as he grew older, even when he sinned, he was willing to come back home because God, the Holy Spirit, was able to tug on those biblical principles within his heart that it was that his life was founded on yeah. to bring him to that point. And we've said we're not going to have prodigal sons and daughters. And that wasn't as if we said that like we could control everything. But the fact is we've seen our kids struggle, but we've seen them be faithful to Jesus because we want to have Jesus as the priority in our home and nothing less. Yeah, and I want to speak to those who maybe have an unsaved spouse. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul addresses the Corinthian church, and there were situations where one was a believer and one was not. And apparently they were asking him, should we go ahead and get a divorce and, and break yeah. this off? And he says, you don't know if you're going to save your spouse. And then he goes on and he progresses into the believing wife sanctifies the unbelieving husband and vice versa. Hmm. That doesn't mean they're saved. It just means that there's a certain covering that you're only given in marriage. You're not given it in boyfriends and girlfriends or That's in friends cool. or whatever like that or live-ins. You're only given it in the covenant of marriage to where if my husband is an unbeliever, I actually can sanctify him. And then Paul goes on to say, that's why your children are holy. Yeah. Your children are made holy with only one believing spouse. You don't actually, and I'm not saying don't encourage and pray that the other spouse isn't saved, but if they never become a believer, you don't have to separate or feel like there's some kind of, uh, I actually dealt with one family and I'll be quick because I know our time is ending soon, but where the wife was afraid to kind of have a you know intimate relationship with her husband because she was afraid his junk was going to rub off on her. That's opposite. Actually, your holiness rubs off on them. Holiness is, is stronger mm. than the junk that's in the other person. So just be encouraged. Keep your relationship strong with Jesus, and you will sanctify your whole household. Yeah. Listen, friend, uh, premarital sex, um, adultery in marriage, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. All it does is bring destruction. And I want to encourage you today to live yourself devoted to the Lord, no matter what stage of life that you're in. Be pure. Be holy. Be devoted to God. Be devoted to your spouse. Be devoted to your children. There's value in it. God's blessing can be upon your life. God said in Malachi, the end of the book of Malachi, that he wants to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, or else he'll smite the lamb with a curse. That means if we as fathers and mothers would do what we're called to do, there's going to be blessing. Yeah. If we want to see the world change, we've got to take personal responsibility. Listen, thank you so much for listening. We love you. We'll look forward to being with you next week. God bless. Bye. Thank you for listening to Revival Cry with Eric Miller. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To find out more or partner with our missions work around the world, please visit us at revivalcry.com. I look forward to being with you next week.